Welcome to Shrink Wrap, a podcast where Fran and Becky give proper respect to various mental health and wellness topics while adding in a little bit of smart assery that they just can't seem to contain. This podcast cannot and does not constitute therapy advice. However, we do hope that you find the information we share with you helpful and entertaining. Please be advised that this podcast discusses topics that can be sensitive to some listeners. Use appropriate discretion. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's recording day. It is. And I am super excited because of the guest today. Now, we have been, we went to school together since what grade was it? Freshman year? Um, freshman year. Yes. Freshman year. Yes. And we are coming up on our 40th year class reunion. Yes, in April. In April. And wow. yeah, so when you guys, you little bitches make your yeah. ageist jokes, and we're gonna, you are going to be offending two <laughs> out of the four people. What? Brody? I, my brain's like overloading now because I don't want to insult the guests, but I love insulting I know, you. So exactly. I'm, I'm like, oh, is this when you went back to school after the universities were invented? Or like, when, <laughs> what year was that? I mean, <laughs> but I don't so want to be, no. be inconsiderate to to the guests yes. so i'll i'll try to keep it to a minimum yeah no disrespect on your part ever. <laughs> i'm gonna say if she's been friends with fran for that long she can handle it that's my guess probably true <laughs> that's my right. guess oh so what are we talking about today well i'm gonna have you read the title because i think you're very professional and you have it written out so nicely <clears throat> today's episode is that professional i like it okay thank you yeah Treating domestic violence offenders. And we do have a guest today, and we're super excited. I was super excited to meet you, Lynette. Um, we have oh, with us, yes, Lynette Cunningham. She has her master's degree. She is a licensed addiction counselor and an approved domestic violence offender treatment provider. Um, and that takes a special sort of person. Um, she's been working with court ordered clients for more than 20 years, and she specializes in the areas of addiction and domestic violence treatment. And she's been in private practice for 13 years in Greeley, Colorado. Welcome, Lynette. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. you. Yes. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you. And you do, you do special work. Yeah. Yes. It's very special, very specialized. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's never a dull moment. And not everybody can do it. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. There are many mental health professionals that I've met over the years that will say, I will work with any client, but I will not work with a pedophile and I will not work with a domestic abuser. It does take a special human. And we're grateful for that. Yes. Yes. And I'm just grateful that I'm able to um, make a difference in a lot of people's lives, hopefully, because when the offender starts to make, you know, some positive adjustments, they are safer with their intimate partner and their children and, you know, consequently for our community. So it's very rewarding, but it's very strong. Well, we're excited to dive into this. All right, let's hit the factoid, Brody. Uh, Wow, uh she yelled at him. I know, I love it. (laughs) He deserves it. It's time for the fantastic factoid. So the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence reports, Brody's going to love this stat, 20 to 60 (laughs) percent of all offenders will reoffend. And we always laugh about that because the range is so huge. But to be fair, to be fair, the statistics on this topic are very varied and and complicated. Like each source will give you a different number. I think it's safe to say that a minimum probably of... Maybe we'll call it in the middle, 40% mm-hmm. tend to mm-hmm. reoffend, And sometimes, right. 
you know, this is as soon as, and according to one stat, this was really kind of sad. According to the Public Policy Institute of California, um, 67% get another domestic violence related charge. And, you know, this, this again is a challenge to be a mental health professional because when you work so hard and put your heart and soul into it and they reoffend, right. it's like, it's gotta be really tough. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's very disheartening. And I've noticed that, especially with first time offenders, sometimes they don't take it very serious. And I always try to share with them, like, this is your life. And there's a lot of things that you can learn, um, not only to be the better version of yourself, but to have healthier relationships. So that's my goal is, especially first time offenders will take it very serious. So they don't reoffend. But the majority of my clients that are in my program right now have at least two domestic violence convictions. Okay. So wow. are, is everybody in your program then court ordered to be there? Yes, correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So- yeah. So they, and, and we work with um, the lower risk uh, probation in our county. And then we work with uh, standard probation, intense probation. We work with parole and also the halfway house. Um, so they're the highest wow. level of supervision in our community. So we get referrals from all those five sources. Okay. So kind of walk us through like how exactly does treatment roll? Is it different for each well, person? Are they evaluated? Do you mind if I back it up first? No, you go ahead. Let's talk a little bit more about what domestic violence actually is, if you don't mind. And then mm-hmm. if you're okay with that, Absolutely. the roll into the treatment. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. I did um, upload the power and control wheels to our social media yes. person, but you have to tell me, I want your thoughts on it. Like I use them a lot, but you're the expert. Yeah, well, domestic violence, I mean, there's, it's kind of a broad category, but it's basically a power and control, um, manipulative approach in a relationship. And many times uh, people think that it's about this person can't manage their anger. Well, that's not necessarily true because they can choose to manage it at work or in the community. But it's about um, having control and power over a person. And if they don't get that, then anger is acted out inappropriately. And many types of abuse can happen, like property damage or threatening to pull the finances or um, hurting them physically or obviously emotionally. Um, so, you know, there's there's many types of ways that offender can manipulate and control the victim in their relationship. Yeah, I think we've seen that in practice. I mean, it can be financial control, it can be emotional control, social control, control with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that you brought up the issue that because we do think of offenders as people that can control their anger, but a lot of times they can completely control their anger. They're just gaslighting Mm -hmm. and they know how to do it and they're staying calm and they are insisting on having things their way and seeing things their way. And so that would be maybe out of the expectation of what people think a domestic offender might look like. Exactly. And I think that it's really um, confusing for some people because, you know, it's kind of like the Jekyll and Hyde approach, you know, like the perspective, like a lot of people are like, I can't believe he or she did that. They're so nice at work and they're so calm. But yet when they come home, they become a completely different person. 
Now, th- those are extremes. I mean, like you mentioned, Fran, I mean, a lot of times there's that subtle manipulation like gaslighting. Um, but yeah, it's really concerning and confusing for some people that they just don't see that piece of that person because they can keep it in check in certain settings. Mm-hmm. So tell me your thoughts then on the power and control wheels. I use them as an educational tool. I use the power and control wheel and then I use the wheel of equality so that they can see yes. what a healthy relationship can look like. And then she right. uses the wheel of fortune just for fun. I do. I like to <laughs> spin them around. Yep. Gotta have some fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we use both of the wheels, obviously, for you know, accountability, for education, for understanding that power and control wheel. We help our clients understand well, what areas are you demonstrating this control? Um, and again, you know, the financial one is very common. Using the children. Um, that's a very common one on that power and control wheel, especially um, when there's a co-parenting situation going on. The children are often placed in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting thing on the power and control mm-hmm. wheel is the section where they use minimizing, denying, blame and justification. Mm-hmm. And that's what we focus on a lot in our program is being accountable for what happened. And, you know, as as you know, um, they, they get charged with the criminal offense with the domestic violence enhancer. So some of our clients, you know, have committed crimes like third degree assault where they've hurt the victim physically. Some have um, like broken into the victim's home. So they might get like a trespassing or burglary conviction. And we're seeing more and more that our clients are getting um, a stalking conviction and also a strangulation conviction. Wow. So that power and control wheel, we really help them understand how important it is to be accountable and empathy, how that behavior impacts the people in their life, primarily the victim. And many times the children as well. So we do a family violence prevention conference every fall here in Aberdeen. And we work really hard to get some pretty cool people in. And a couple of years ago, we had a gentleman who talked about strangulation in domestic violence. And um, his research or the research that he was using indicated that he wanted a separate And it sounds like maybe that's what's happening in Colorado. If it involves strangulation, that needs to be its own separate category because the the lethality of the domestic violence when there's strangulation Mm -hmm. involved goes up quite a bit. Absolutely. So what we're working on right now in in our domestic violence needs and risk inventory, they're um, updating it and that strangulation Um, peace will be an automatic critical risk factor. Mm -hmm. So even if there's no other risk factors with this client, which is unlikely, but if it were to be (laughs) so, it would be an automatic high risk offender. Okay. Because of the lethality risk. So, so the, the conviction is usually a second degree assault with strangulation. Mm -hmm. And yes, absolutely. The, the, the damage, um, the potential of um, death is really high. Um, so, yeah, that that piece we take very, very serious in our program. He also talked about, I'm sorry, Fran, you I keep ahead. interrupting you. Um, he also talked about the correlation, so not cause and effect, but the correlation. Um, if you go back and look at, um, oh, hell, now I'm, now I'm not wording, I'm not Englishing, um, 
mass shootings. Thank you. That if you look at a perpetrator of a mass shooting, a lot of times there is an evidence of domestic violence that involves strangulation. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was like 75%. Yes, yes, yes. I just read that basic statistic. My memory is, I think, like 67% okay. or something like that. But it's very high yeah. because a lot of the mass shootings were actually um, kind of directed at a domestic violence, you know, um, situation. So, yeah, it's very, it's very serious. And it puts this person into this automatic high-risk category that needs to be really um, addressed. And when I'm hearing you say this, and I'm looking at it more from treating most, most often women that are victims, you know, our audience hears the word strangulation and they're thinking, okay, wait a minute, you know, like, duh, you wouldn't stay with somebody that strangles you, but Mm. it's not like you're meeting them. And, and the first date they're (laughs) strangling, they're going to strangulate you. You know, they are very, very slowly and gradually, not always, but in many, many cases working toward becoming increasingly more controlling, increasingly more jealous, increasingly more violent. So just to keep that in mind, and again, we're not here to judge anybody, not, not the victim, not the perpetrator. We're trying to understand and prevent this kind of thing. The second thing that I want to say about the power and control wheel is that over the years, when I pull that out to a woman Mm -hmm. who's been in a situation like that, many times they break down and cry because they feel like, Oh my God, this is this person on paper. Mm -hmm. Someone knows what's going on in my house. How do they know that? Mm -hmm. Because so much of the abuse is kept in secrecy, right? And so I think that visual image is incredibly powerful to victims. It really is. And I think it's another way of showing them that Um, Because they're being told it's all their fault, right? Mm -hmm. If they wouldn't do this, if they did Mm -hmm. do this. I think it's just validating. But I could see the flip side of that, Lynette, where using it with abusers, like you may not realize this is what you're doing. Oh, many times I've had clients just kind of just sit and stare at that wheel and they'll be like, I've demonstrated all of these. And I think seeing that visual, that black and white is really eye-opening, especially for clients who want to make changes and who really do care about their partner. Um, Just unfortunately, there's been that, you know, belief system that they've learned through intergenerational influence or just their own need, you know, out of anxiety to be in control of somebody or, you know, just that attachment, you know, having that anxious attachment and wanting to just have control of that person. So in their minds, they won't leave them. So it, it is a very powerful tool um, to help them understand and then moving into that equality will. Mm -hmm. So this is what a healthy relationship looks. This is how you can strive to be respectful and assertive and empathetic in your relationships. So give us an idea kind of like when someone comes into your program, is there an Mm -hmm. assessment that's done? Like, how do you know, do you have a certain program they work through? Do they do individual Mm -hmm. group, both like all of it? Yeah. So we get a referral from the referral source and we're very grateful for the information that we get. We sometimes get um, the level of supervision that they're at with that particular supervision um, aspect. And then we get the police report and any, you know, collateral information. 
And we have our clients fill out a domestic violence inventory. So it's a it's an assessment tool that we use to assess not only their truthfulness, but their level of um, violence, substance abuse, and stress and coping mechanisms. And then we also have them fill out the ACEs, um, or if we mm. get it from the referral source, so we're assessing like their addiction um, or substance use um, level. And so then the second part of our evaluation is when we meet with them face to face. And that usually takes um, at least an hour and a half to two hours. So we're actually gathering, you know, psychosocial information, um, education, um, relationship history, substance abuse, mental health. We do a huge assessment on mental health and we also assess their um, medical um, issues, um, what we have found. We were in a research program. Um, we found that around 80% of our clients have had a closed head injury. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, yes. So that's a very interesting statistic. Um, so we gather all this information and we're looking at their needs and risks and responsivity. So with regards to the needs, um, Obviously, most people, if they qualify, let me just speak on this really quick. What I tell my clients when I see them, um, it is not my responsibility to determine if they're guilty or innocent. They've already pled guilty. My responsibility is to make the most appropriate treatment recommendations based on what they're going to share with me and the collateral information. But if a client comes in, which I've had this happen, and they say, I've never been abusive, that didn't happen. Um, you know, I'm not going to learn anything from this program. They don't qualify for our program. Mm. There has to be some level of accountability, something that they want to work on to become a safer person with this intimate partner, their children, and obviously in our community. So once, you know, we gather all this information and they do meet criteria, then we assess, well, what do they need? So most of our clients do go into our domestic violence group setting um, unless they have like a cognitive impairment or extreme mental health that would prevent them from being um, successful and uh, compliant in a group. We will see them individually. Okay. And is and this like a if, standardized format or? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, actually, um, I have, um, it it is a valid and reliable um, assessment tool. Again, like I shared, it it is being updated. So Mm -hmm. it's the domestic violence risk and needs assessment, the DVRNA. Okay. So yes, so we're we're looking at 14 domains and in each domain, there's, you know, five to six different, you know, subcategories. So we're assessing them. So depending on the information that we gather in the risk factors that determines their level of intensity. Okay. So um, once we, you know, figure out this, we put them into the appropriate um, group. So we have moderate risk intensity level and high intensity level groups. If they're really low risk, which doesn't happen very often, then we see them individually. Okay. So that's the domestic violence piece. And then if they have substance abuse issues, then we refer them to um, treatment. I do um, the substance abuse at our agency. I'm a licensed addiction counselor. 
Um, many times they need um, a parenting program. And the one that we have through our agency is a court-approved program that is specifically formulated for offenders. Mm, and because the, the traditional parenting programs do not work with our clients. It actually makes them more abusive for their children. Oh, that's huh. interesting. So this is called Caring Dads. And it's a, it's a program that our facilitator has been trained on. Um, and he's a he's an employee or a, you know subcontract employee of ours. So if they have those that need, like if the child is present during the incident, or if there's a Department of Human Services case, then we refer them to uh, to that caring dads program. So or if they need mental health, and we 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 try to meet their needs, so we're lowering the recidivism rate. So right. we're addressing all the needs in our program. Mm-hmm. So it's called Caring Dads, but I'm guessing, well, maybe this is incorrect, but what would you say the ratio is of male to female offenders that participate in your program? So in our particular program, about 33% of our program is female offenders. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, just just a quick caveat, I'm not... Um, um, I do not have the variance to work with females, but my okay. business partner does. Okay. But I will speak on this, is that some of our female offenders are retaliating victims. Mm. Okay, oh, gotcha. So maybe explain what that of, is for our listeners. Yes. Yeah, so a retaliating victim is is this person who has been in an abusive relationship, usually for quite a while. And they retaliate. Here's here's an example. There was a client that my business partner had. Um, she had been abused, abused, abused. And one day she picked up a candle and she was done with his abuse and threw it at him. And then he calls the police. He has a gash on his mm-hmm. forehead. He She gets arrested. Remember the okay. movie, The Burning Bed with Farrah Fawcett? <laughs> yes. that was, Brody, don't give me a dirty look. He's like, I don't even know who Farrah Fawcett is. I know who I'm Farrah so Fawcett sick is. of his bullshit. But that was a very good example. <laughs> well, your movie references are from the 70s. Plan. I don't, well, it's, it was like a powerful movie. Is it there was. a modern day one with retaliation we can think of? Oh, well, I mean, not that you would have seen, but. What? Uh, I Spit on Your Grave is the like one that comes to mind. It. I think it's like NC-17, but it's a woman who gets raped and then she comes oh. back and gets uh, like tortures all these men who uh, have done it. Oh, um, uh, this is why we have Brody. Yes. It's the one with Bo Burnham. Um, intelligent young woman. Promise, oh, no, 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 promising, no, 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 promising young, young woman. Promising yes. young woman. Yes. That is a good uh, I yeah. mean, similar well, in the same vein, but not exactly what you're talking right. about. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. And there, I think there's another one. I think it's called like peppermint, or I, I can't remember the name of it. But it's the same thing. Retaliating victim goes back and you know, kind of gets justice. But yeah. So that that is our program is about 33 percent are female offenders. Um, but my business partner, she's really good at like assessing, you know, what do they really need? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest are, you know, the male offenders who, um, you know, they statistically um, men commit 80 percent of violent crimes. So, I mean, it's, you know, kind of obvious that they would commit more of the domestic violence. 
Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because I don't want people going, oh, my God, they're shitting on men. Um, We're not. Yeah. Just statistics. Right. And, you know, I think it's fascinating the research that you did about the closed head injury because it makes perfect sense. If you're damaging your frontal lobe, especially, Mm -hmm. there goes your impulse control. And you see it. I mean, not that all kids with concussions are going to grow up to be domestic abusers, but many times they exhibit symptoms where they have poor anger management. They have more trouble sustaining attention attention. They act more impulsively speaking out and getting in trouble in class. So I think that is worthy of more research and more intervention. Yes. And and the underlying factors with all of this um, is that they sometimes sustain these head injuries from child abuse Mm. Um, or being in like a gang. Many of our clients are gang affiliated Mm. um, or, you know, they were assaulted in prison or in, you know, some type of violent way receives this closed head injury. Or maybe they just had, you know, a home where they were latchkey kids and they were just adrenaline junkies and they just didn't have supervision. So you can kind of see that um, it's it's there's a lot of factors here that's leading to, like you said, impulse control and the inability to manage their emotions in a healthy way. Do you think your population has a higher rate of having physiological issues like poor health issues? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I know you guys are familiar with a study by Kaiser Permanente. Um, our clients have, um, you know, their diabetes and uh, obviously, you know, cirrhosis of the liver because of, you know, their, you know, substance use disorder. Um, but so many of our clients have gastrointestinal issues, like ulcers. And I mean, you name it. I mean, a lot of our clients are in and out of the hospital. They have a lot of um, physical issues. And as you know, the study, a study, you know, um, demonstrated is, you know, the more, you know, trauma you have in your life, the more likely you are to have, you know, physiological or, you know, physical issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's great that that's a part of your assessment mm-hmm. process, because what I've learned yes. throughout the years is many times it's not considered. I think it should be right. considered like when kids are in school and we're putting them on individual mm-hmm. education plans, that should be absolute standard protocol. Do an ACEs, which is the adverse childhood experience survey to see, because these teachers may think, well, this is just an incorrigible little brat. Mm-hmm. But then if they saw, oh my gosh, they'd kid has seen their parents divorce, has seen domestic right. violence and all the things, they re- it really offers up not an excuse for their behavior, but maybe more compassion. And some understanding of their yes. behavior. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. More understanding. And, and in our county, um, we do have a, a program that can help um, our clients with these, you know, closed head injury issues. So, you know, that's part of our program and we have a great, um, connection with our referral source. We have a, we, um, interact in a multidisciplinary team approach. So it's the treatment provider working with the supervising officer and the victim advocate. So we have an employee. Um, she is our victim advocate. So we're all working together to, um, number one, is keep the victim safe. That's our number one priority. But also to treat this offender so he or she doesn't reoffend and continue to hurt the people in their life. Mm-hmm. 
So we had talked about maybe you presenting a case study anonymously with confidentiality. Have you thought about a case that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, yeah, Fran, you had mentioned jealousy. Um, so one of the cases I was thinking about, which I mean, this is one of the, you know, a thousand, but you know, it, it, it kind of, I think paints a picture of kind of a common, um, scenario that happens a lot of times with our clients. So this was a client he's, you know, in his mid twenties and him and his, um, girlfriend are out at a, um, like a restaurant kind of bar and she goes to the bathroom and he um, notices when she comes back, she stops to talk to somebody. Um, and he gets extremely jealous, um, confront her, confront him, makes a scene. Um, they go out to the car. He pulls her hair when they get into the car, slams her head down on the console and is verbally berating her and accusing her of doing something um, inappropriate and flirting and, you know, being unfaithful. And um, in this, you know, interaction, he does um, put his hands around her neck and strangles her. Um, she is able to get away. And um, there are witnesses to this. So he did get arrested on the spot. So that's kind of... Um, uh, kind of a common scenario as jealousy is, you know, very huge, but you can also see here, it's all about control. And here's another thing is that I want to address the cognitive distortions that we have, right? So he sees this situation and, um, you know, I don't really know exactly what was going on. It could have been a friend from high school. It could have been, you know, maybe her cousin. But he makes this assumption in his mind that she's doing something inappropriate. So that's a really common thing with our clients is making these, you know, assumptions and jumping to conclusions and then reacting in an um, aggressive manner because they have no control over this situation. So that if you talk to somebody, you obviously want to leave your partner and then start a new life with this person that you just said hi to at the bar. That's the leap they're making. Exactly. Yeah. And then you layer on top of all of this a substance, right? In this particular mm. case, alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you can just see how there's a lot going on in these situations, right? And then I mentioned the intergenerational influence. I mean, mm -hmm. many of our clients grew up in just, you know, um, poverty and then seeing their parents you know, um, the unfaithfulness, the infidelity with their parents or their caregivers. And so they're, they've already had this belief formed in their mind that this person that they're with is going to never be faithful to them, right? So this situation, they make about that of a mohel, and then it becomes very violent and very scary. Hey, Becky, why is the Northern State University graduate program in counseling so awesome? I could go on forever, but Let let's talk it. about the fact okay. that you can get a clinical degree where you can work in private practice or an agency, mm -hmm. where you can get a school counseling degree on the school track, where you can work in a school as private, private school, parochial school, public school, any school you want to. And then my favorite. What? 
forensic counseling. Super cool. Yes. But is it K-CREP approved? It is K-CREP approved. And you're like, what does that mean? You know what? It means that it has the gold standard of grad schools. Super awesome. But can I afford it? Because I don't have a lot of money. It's okay. If you go to northern.edu, yeah. you can um, apply for some scholarships. They have a couple of counseling-specific scholarships in addition to some other really fantastic scholarships that a guidance counselor or a admissions counselor can help you with. Awesome. Be Northern, unleash your potential, baby. One of the books that I read over the last year, I think I had told you about, was um, written by Viola Davis, which was her autobiography. Yes. And I mean, boy, if you, that is such a brutal portrayal of domestic violence that she grew up with and how that impacted her to the core for years. It's a miracle her mom's alive, honestly. Absolutely. I I listened to the book on Audible. Yeah. Super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. But that would be an example. Go ahead. Yes, yes. And you can see in that situation how a young girl, um, you know, witnesses this and how traumatic it is to see someone that you love so much. I mean, and the father, but, you know, just that protectiveness of the person who's getting hurt. But you can see how this perpetuates into their relationships. They're choosing men who sometimes are very similar to their father because it's what they know. It's mm-hmm. what they're quote unquote comfortable with. Mm-hmm. That's heavy stuff, man. Yeah. 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 And, and one other thing I want to address is, you know, in our program and you guys kind of mentioned it earlier is, well, why do these, you know, people stay? And, mm-hmm. and I will tell you, even working with the men, Sometimes they are, you know, a victim. Um, Sometimes their intimate partner is the primary aggressor. Or maybe there's this co-combatant relationship, right, where both of them are pretty equally aggressive. Um, But, you know, obviously women are going to feel more afraid because of the man's, you know, physical size and the, you know, the risk of getting hurt. But what I want to address is that cycle of abuse, that cycle of violence, where there's that honeymoon period, that buildup, that tension phase, explosion, and then there's this makeup, and then this calming honeymoon phase. And I think a lot of times the reason why people stay is because those good times are really good. Mm -hmm. And they fell in love with this person. You know, there was this you know, um, charm or, you know, this buildup of this love relationship or at least this passionate connection. And this honeymoon period kind of keeps them in this relationship because it's nice for a while. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously this buildup, 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 explosion, and then makeup. So unless that cycle is stopped, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And, and just that person and, you know, um, well, actually, both of them are just going to be involved in this very um, abusive, very violent relationship until that cycle is broken. So what statistically in, in what you've seen, what percentage of domestic abusers become abusive to the children? And I mean, like, not just abuse in front of them toward the mom or toward the dad, but actually at or perpetrated on the children. So I don't remember the exact um, statistic, but it is extremely high. It's like mm. 
80, 85% or so. Because, um, because again, go ahead. it's about having control over this person. Mm-hmm. Do you think like that judges in general, court systems are understanding better that if, if I can hurt my partner, this is likely to happen toward my children? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's this huge understanding and factor um, there, you know, that the, if someone's going to be abusive to one person in their home, the likelihood of them being abusive to another is really high. And the other thing is it's over, it's over 50% of our domestic violence offenders have also abused the family pet. Mm. Oh yeah. So they, they abuse animals too. And which is one of the forms of abuse and one of the forms of control is hurting the family pet. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, you guys can argue with me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the judges that want to get it are really, really getting it. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. the, think the ones that don't want to get it are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I maybe, agree. And we, maybe that's another yeah. 40 to 60% st- or 20 to 60% mm-hmm. statistic. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 The judicial system is pretty interesting because a lot of times, uh, you know, the district attorney is going to plead these charges down. And a lot of times the child abuse charge gets dismissed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what the message is for this offender is "Eh, it's not that really not a big deal. You know, but in our program, we take that very serious. So Mm -hmm. again, on that domestic violence needs and risk inventory, we're going to make a recommendation for them to attend at um, parenting, that specialized parenting program to help them not to be abusive for their children. Yeah, because I've heard over the years of how many, many, many women stay with the man because they're terrified if he gets joint custody, mm-hmm. she won't be there to protect or intervene for on behalf of her children. Mm-hmm. So it really, Absolutely. especially if they have lots of money, they can litigate and out litigate their partner and have a really good chance of winning that. Well, and I'm going to do a little plug for mm-hmm. our 2024 violence prevention. We're looking at bringing Anna Estevez out of California. Um, who sought a restraining order against her soon-to-be ex-husband and um, wanted supervised visitations for him. And the judge Mm. did not rule in favor of that. And he took her son to Disney World or Disneyland and then murdered him. Oh, my God. Oh yeah. My goodness. And so now, oh, I'm trying to think of what her son's name. I, I can't think of his name, but his, I want to say his nickname was like, I'm going to say Rico, but I don't think that's right. But they did pass a law um, in California to, to help mm-hmm. judges recognize that if you are going, I mean, if, if there's reasons to know that this person is violent towards their partner and right. there should be supervised visitation and all of these things right. that, that there's a reason for it. Absolutely. And, and I will have to say in our county, um, I feel like, um, the, we, there's a pretty good, um, um, intervention in this area mm-hmm. where there's supervised visitation and then reports given. And um, that's kind of weaned down if, you know, everything mm-hmm. is looking pretty good. But I think it is really important. And I think the other thing with judges um, is those, uh, you know, the mandatory protection orders, mm-hmm. um, that those really need to be um, in place for a, a very significant period of time with the extremely, especially with the extremely high risk offenders, you know, mm-hmm. in our county, it's an automatic no contact order, but many times those protection orders get modified 
the full contact even before we see them for that initial evaluation. Or there's repeated violations and nothing gets done about it. Mm-hmm. Like we're like you, I think our county's really, really good about it. Our, um, our state's attorney, um, is amazing. We're so blessed mm-hmm. to have her, but I know there has been times when you might mm-hmm. violate a protection order 75 times and nothing happens. And they know that they, the perpetrator knows that. And, and so where's the deterrent? Yeah, exactly. And luckily, uh, um, many times our clients will, you know, get like a jail sentence or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some type of consequence if there is a repeated um, violation. But yeah, it really needs to be taken serious because again, we, we want to protect um, everybody. You know, victim safety is number one. One, I'm just curious, what are the laws in Colorado? Like if you've been convicted of being, you know, domestic assault or whatever, in terms of being able to have firearms? So they um, are under the federal um, gun law. So they are not allowed to have access to a firearm. Um, And sometimes, and that's a lifetime for Mm -hmm. some of our clients, okay, because that that is a violent conviction. There is a, you know, some loopholes that sometimes after, I don't know, 10 years or something, you might be able to motion a federal judge to get your gun rights back. Now, if you have a deferred sentence and that conviction is dis, I mean, the charge is dismissed and they can get their gun rights back. But most of our clients who have that violent, you know, conviction, which, you know, domestic violence is considered that, they can never own a firearm again. And in our program, we assess this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a core competency review and evaluation every two to three months with each of our clients individually. And in those um, individual sessions, we have an assessment form and we're assessing those risk factors in those sessions, as well as in the group we have a we assess, you know, if they have any homicidal, suicidal um, ideations, um, substance use and police contact. So we're constantly assessing those risk factors. And I think a lot of people view it as unfair, like in our state where hunting's a big thing. Well, I guess in, in Colorado, it's a big thing, too. And so they view it as taking away their yeah. hunting rights. But I always like, isn't it more like you gave up your hunting rights? Mm-hmm. Exactly. They gave up that right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because having a firearm... Um, in um, one's home increases the lethality risk like I don't know three times mm-hmm. you know the the risk factor so it is something to really be um, aware of mm-hmm. and and in many times um, if there is a concern um, depending on the the supervision level our um, supervising officers will do a home visit and make mm-hmm. sure that our um, our clients um, are telling the truth with certain things. So. Tell us about your successes. We have so many, mm-hmm. and that's what has kept me in this field for so long. Um, I, I'll just tell you one. We had this client, um, he was um, um, in our program for a significant period of time, um, graduated compliantly. And um, when our clients graduate, I give them a little seashell. And that's a representation of all the changes that they've made. And just a symbol of, you know, their um, their belief system and how it's changed into a positive, more pro-social. 
And he just, you know, initially he was very resistant to treatment, but just became such a great client and just really realized how um, he loved his wife and his children and wanted to demonstrate more equality. And um, four years after he um, graduated completely from our program, he came back to just say hi and that his life was going great. And he pulled out that seashell and he said, I still have the seashell. And it's that symbol. It's that reminder of all the things I learned in your program and how my life is really so much better. Um, Another success story is, you know, we don't meet the victims. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Our victim advocate is the one who has that confidential relationship. But there was one time um, my um, client graduated compliantly. And that same night, um, his um, intimate partner, the victim in the case, um, wanted to come and just tell me thank you. And I mean, oh, it wow. tears She's like, he just like is like a completely different person. He's sober. Oh. He's enjoyable. He's so loving. And, you know, that was just so rewarding. Um, and powerful. Just to hear, yeah. Yeah. Just to hear like, wow, like he just really just did a, you know, a 180 and -hmm. just started to take all these things, all these, you know, communication skills and belief systems and all that, and just actually implementing them. Because that's just one thing that's just so rewarding when, you know, we really hear like from the victim advocate, maybe we never meet this, you know, person, that this person is just so loving and so safe now. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just um, really an amazing feeling that this one person has impacted so many people in a positive I want yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's easy to vilify abusers and some of them deserve yes. it. Let's be real. Some of them deserve it. They're assholes um, yes. who can rot in hell forever. However, I don't want to take away from the ones that just don't know any better and are willing to learn better and exactly. and, and be better partners and be better um, parents. And Right, right. And, and another story is we meet um, every month. We call it the the Well County Domestic Violence Coalition. And this is where everybody who's involved in these domestic violence cases come together once a month for an hour um, during the lunchtime. And like judges, district attorneys, treatment providers, police officers, victim advocates. And in the month of October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we had a panel of, um, I believe this year, there were um, 10 of our clients um, you know, all domestic violence offenders who shared their changes with Mm. this audience. Because many times, which is great, we hear, you know, victims and, you know, the things that they go through, but it's so refreshing for this audience to hear that these people are making amazing strides to, to make changes and to just turn their life around, their belief system, staying sober and implementing these skills that really are just so rewarding in their life. And I just love, you know, when our clients come and speak at this coalition, because it really is just powerful to hear um, the amazing transformations that they make. And, you know, what, what I'm thinking about is that because maybe 
there was a witness or because a woman filed charges, you know, called the police that Mm -hmm. allowed your intervention to take place. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus how many of domestic uh, abusers spontaneously change on their own without any kind of intervention. (laughs) Right. Right. I think we can safely say the statistics of that are very Very low. low. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, if you're in a relationship like this and listening, it's like in order for them to truly get help and any chance at change, they need professional intervention. Mm -hmm. And you not saying anything is not going to make that happen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I did recently have a client who was a private client. He came in um, because he was on the, you know, the road to get a, a charge and probably conviction. And that was a great intervention just to meet with him and, and try to prevent this from happening. But you're right. I mean, that is a complete rarity. Mm-hmm. And it's so like rewarding when I hear a lot of my clients say, you know, this is a silver lining. I'm really grateful I got this conviction because I wouldn't have changed. And so right. while it's not, you know, the ideal way to make changes, so many of our clients like realize that. It had to happen. And honestly, a lot of them will say, this has saved my life Mm -hmm. because now we know that fentanyl is the number one, it's the leading cause of death in certain ages. And many of our clients have struggled with, you know, substance use. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of them will say, this has even saved my life Mm -hmm. because they're being monitored for their sobriety. They have this support system that's holding them accountable and trying to, you know, um, help them, um, you know, for their life um, past their supervision level. Mm -hmm. That is just phenomenal. Yeah. Well, again, Lynette, I have to say, I'm just so grateful for people such as yourself that do this work. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I love you. And thank you for taking time to do this with us. us. It's great to see you. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Thank you and love you too. And I just love your podcast. You guys are doing such a great job too. And I really appreciate you having me. This was just so um, exciting for me. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. We are the shrinks. And that's a wrap.